Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, what is the difference between defending the truth of Christianity today than say it was to defend the truth of Christianity 25 years ago? What do you think the biggest difference is, in America anyway? What's different today than, say, 1993 or 1995? Is it harder today? Is it easier today? And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking about the state of the culture. Is it harder or easier? But which, just with the state of, of information. Seems to me it's much harder today in one sense, and maybe easier in another sense. But generally, it's harder today to defend Christianity because of the internet. Why do you say that? Well, look, 25 years ago, if you wanted to know what was in the Bible, you actually had to read it. You had to go in there and see what was in there. You had to read to discover what was really in the text and where it was in the text. You had to read to know the evidence for the reliability of the New Testament documents. Um, Now, in a few words in a search engine, you can get evidence for the New Testament documents, which can be helpful, quite obviously. But on the other hand, you can get a series of sites that will tell you you can't trust the New Testament because of this, or you can't trust the Old Testament because of this, or you could put a few words in a search engine and you can get a list of passages and seconds that appear to be very troubling, particularly from the Old Testament. This is what many of the new atheists do. Yet there's no context for these passages. There's no explanation for these passages. They're just there. And on the surface, they can seem immoral and outrageous. I mean, this is why people like Richard Dawkins have made um, headway by saying things like, well, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all of fiction, jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving, control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, on and on and on, a homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, pest pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic bully. Um, This is all from memory, by the way. I don't have the quote in front of me, but he says something like that. And, you know, if if you go to some of these websites that have just a list of verses from the Old Testament on it, completely out of context, you might agree with Dawkins. You might say, yeah. Like, Like, what's all this business about killing the Canaanites, for example? What's the deal with that? How is that a loving God? And you say, people might glance at something like that or spend 10 minutes on the internet reading that and go, forget the Bible, forget Christianity. This, this is, this is outrageous. I can't believe that people think this is actually true or this actually happened. So they dismiss it. They dismiss it out of hand because they went to the internet and Some people listed a bunch of verses without context, without explanation. And on the surface, you go, hey, there's there's no reason to even 
investigate any further. If this is what's in the Bible, I, wanna, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And you can understand that. Just on the surface. By the way, the same issue related to the Bible is the same issue that speakers, preachers, and teachers face. In the past, you would have to listen to a speaker, a preacher, or a teacher in context to discover what they were saying. Now, with the internet, including places like YouTube and with email or with Snapchat or with Instagram or with texting, you can be bombarded with sound bites that offer very little context. Now, now don't get me wrong. I'm not complaining about this. I mean, that's just the way the, the world is. I mean, all of those platforms can be used for good or evil. By uh, alone, they're amoral. They're, there's no uh, morality one way or the other. They're just platforms. They're just communication platforms. I'm not complaining about it. I'm just trying to point out that we need to be aware of this. That people can be yanked out of context. And often you wind up getting a lot of heat, but very little light. Because, you know, 25, 30 years ago, we didn't have these platforms. Many of them we didn't even have 10 years ago. Twitter, well, Twitter we had, but I mean, oh, over the past 15 or 20 years, these things have emerged. Facebook, Twitter, and now you can get a soundbite of a preacher, a teacher, uh, or a speaker that may be a minute. No context on the front or the back end. And what you read or what you see, you make a complete judgment on this person's uh, on this person's orthodoxy, say, which obviously isn't quite fair, <laughs> because sometimes if you listen to anybody for just a minute, you might not understand the context, and it may sound like what the person is saying is something completely different what, than what they meant. So. What do we do in a world like this? How do we defend Christianity in this environment? I think one thing we need, to, do, we need, we need to, to understand as Christians is that we've got to operate on a little bit more grace uh, than maybe we're used to operating on. When we hear somebody and just a, just a, a soundbite or a phrase, instead of making a complete judgment and going on to Facebook or going on the Internet and writing some kind of uh, missive, back to the individual or about the individual, maybe we ought to do a little bit more research and try and get a complete or a better idea of the context of, of what somebody was said. Just like we would want people to do with the Bible. We would want them to go back and look at the context and try and understand why those passages or where they are, what the situation was. I mean, we do this on this program all the time. We've talked several times about the killing of the Canaanites and what that had to do. Was it hyperbole? Was it literal? Does God have the right to take people's lives? For what reason? Does he do it for a reason? Is, is, is there any context to this? What's the point of this? Did it even happen? Some will say, I mean, these are all questions that need to be answered and we've dealt with them on this program many times before. You can go back and listen to some of our podcasts with Paul Copan, with Clay Jones. If you want to go into those issues, you can. Uh, but the point I'm trying to make here is, is that we need to be a little bit more careful. We need to have a little bit more grace. We need to take our time and research an issue before going off half cocked and deciding that, well, we understand completely what the person said or what the Bible says in a particular point, 
what the Old Testament or New Testament, what the passage says, what Paul meant, what Moses meant. We need, we need to not just go on the internet and take something out of context and arrive at a conclusion, because that's obviously uh, not something that's fair to the people who are being taken out of context, and it's certainly not the way we ought to comport ourselves when we're dealing with truth. We should get the context and, and then make our assessment rather than relying on sound bites. And I, by the way, I don't have anything in particular in mind here. I'm not saying, well, so-and-so was taken out of context. I'm just pointing this out because we live in a different world than we did when I first went to seminary 25 years ago. When I came to seminary here at Southern Evangelical Seminary, I started in 1993. The internet was not even a word that I had heard. First time I heard the word internet was at a debate that, my, that Dr. Geiser had with Farrell Till back in 1995 in Columbus, Georgia. There was an atheist there, and he, and he, he, he mentioned the internet. Now, I had, I had known there was CompuServe you know, back in those days. That was the big, or I don't know if AOL had started yet. It was right about that time, America Online. I knew there was something out there. I didn't know it was called the internet at the time. And of course, from that point on, from 1995, it really blossomed. I remember asking somebody first about email. Does email cost anything? What is email? I mean, I, I had no idea at, at this time. Now it's second nature. Can you imagine uh, how, to, how we'd live our lives now without email or without texting or without the internet? I mean, those who are very young, you, you, you have no concept of what life was like prior to the information revolution that really began mostly in the 1990s. You don't even remember what it was like prior to that. You had to, actually had to go to the library to, to do research. Can you, you guys know what a library is? Anyway, we're going to talk more about this and get into one of the biggest problems, and that is the problem of evil. So don't go away. You're listening to Cross-Examined with Frank Turk on the American Family Radio Network. Back in two. Thank you for listening to the Cross-Examined podcast. This material is made available to you for free by the contributions of listeners like you. If you wish to support future podcasts, just go to crossexamine.org and click on the donate button or simply use the donate feature directly on our app. Thanks. Welcome back to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Our website is crossexamine.org. That's crossexamine with a D on the end of it, .org. What we do is we present evidence for Christianity and we cross-examine ideas against it. And I haven't mentioned this in a while, but if you don't have our app, the Cross-Examined app, why not? It's free. There's over 170,000 people are downloading it and using it. It not only has this podcast on it, but it also has our TV show, which is streamed live on Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. and 1 a.m. Eastern time. It also has a quick answer section. Uh, so it has some of the common objections you get to Christianity in the quick answer section, and it allows you to have all this right there on your phone. So you could be having lunch with somebody and they say something that's wrong about Christianity. You're not quite sure how to answer it. All you need to do is take out your iPhone, your droid, or if you're one of the 13 people in the world with a Windows phone, it works on that too. And as the other person is talking, you can say, hey, hang on, I'm getting a text. <laughs> you can just call up the cross-examined app and get a response to what the individual is saying. Now, these are short responses, obviously. 
You can go a lot more into a lot more depth on our website and through our books. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, stealing from God, correct, not politically correct, legislating morality. These are books that I've written or co-written. I have a lot more insights in there. I mean, here I was just in the first segment talking about, well, a lot of times we, we give these really short answers without a lot of context or we take people out of context and make judgments on them. There's a lot more than you can just get on an app or just in a short answer, but at least it's a start. It's a way of getting the moving the conversation forward, maybe asking a question. Sometimes when somebody brings up an objection, as we've spoken about here, it's not your job necessarily to refute what they say. It's their job to support what they say. So you can ask questions, uh, you know, questions that Greg Kokel talks about in his book, Tactics. What do you mean by that? How'd you come to that conclusion? These kinds of questions. What evidence do you have for that position? All right. So all that is in the app. So if you don't have the app, download the app. Also want to mention that um, if you're listening to this on November 10th, um, at uh, tonight I'm at the Texoma Cowboy Church in Wichita Falls, Texas. It's about two hours or so north, northwest of Dallas. It's a cowboy church and at 6.30 p.m. Central, I'll be there. We'll go through. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Uh, till about 9 p.m. And then uh, the next morning, uh, Sunday morning on November 11th, I'll be there for the 10 a.m. service and we'll complete. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist at the Texoma Cowboy Church in Wichita Falls, Texas. So if you're anywhere near there, love to see you. Come on out. All the details on our website, crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it, .org. Just go to events. You'll see a Frank Turk calendar there. Check that out there. All right, uh, let's go back to what we were talking about. We're talking about how the world has changed in the past 25 years dramatically when it comes to defending Christianity. You've got all these, these communication platforms that give you sound bites continually, you know, whether it's uh, Facebook, whether it's Snapchat, whether it's Instagram, whether it's uh, Twitter, whatever it is, uh, YouTube. You can get all these sound bites. Uh, and a lot of times the sound bites give you very little context. And the same is true when it comes to the Bible. People make Atheists and skeptics make Bible websites, you know, that uh, pull all sorts of verses out of context and, and, and paint the Bible in the most uh, unattractive light. And sometimes people will just look at that and dismiss the entire thing and say, well, it can't be true. Forget it. I'm not even going to investigate it anymore. Well, you know, God gives us the free will to follow him or to reject him. He doesn't overwhelm us with evidence. He doesn't overwhelm us with his presence. He gives us the freedom to either follow him, to seek him, or to run from him. Because at the end of the day, there's only two destinations. If God exists, and he does, and if there is an afterlife, and there is, there's only two destinations. You're going to be with God in the afterlife, or you're not. You're going to be separated from him. And God has to give you enough freedom to make your choice, whether you want to pursue him or whether you want to run from him. If you want to run from him, he'll let you. He'll let you. He doesn't, he doesn't want you to do that, but he'll let you go because that's what love does. Love must respect free choice. Now the Bible doesn't say, God doesn't say, Christianity doesn't say, Jesus never said, Paul never said, Jeremiah never said, no New Testament writer or Old Testament writer ever said that if you search for God with half a heart, you'll find him. If you want to find God, you've got to search for him with your whole heart. Because he, and by the way, no, no potential spouse is going to want you to search for him or her with half a heart or pursue him or her with a half a heart. 
going to say, well, forget it then. You're really all not all not you're not, you're not all that interested in me. God doesn't say you will find me if you search me for half a heart. You you know you know how you want to search for God? Search for God like you search when you lose your your wallet or your or your phone. You ever have that feeling, oh, where's my phone? What did I do with my phone? What did I do with my wallet? You don't kind of do a half-hearted search for it. You're turning over everything. Where is that thing? Where's my phone? Call, hey, honey, can you call my phone? Hey, where's my wallet? Have you seen my wallet? Did I leave it in the car? Oh, no. Did I leave it at, did I leave it at the restaurant? Did it fall out of my pocket? Is it between the seats? Is it under the seat? Is it in the couch? Who has my wallet? I mean, you don't stop until you find that. Now, how valuable is your wallet compared to how valuable is God if he actually exists? We spend a lot more time looking for our wallet. In fact, I don't know if I've mentioned this on this. I think I probably have earlier, but I'm going to mention it again. Um, Every audience I go to, in fact, I was just at a great church this past week in Florence, Alabama, Faith Church. Steve Husky's the pastor down there. Great, great church. Great, great team. Uh, did a Wednesday night there. Did I don't have enough faith to be an atheist and uh, spoke for 45, 50 minutes, something like that. Then had an hour worth of questions. So there was a lot of people that had a lot of questions. And um, I asked the audience there, I don't know, maybe we had seven, eight hundred there. Between six and eight hundred. I don't know. The place hold, held about a thousand. There's probably probably about it, anyway. I'm, 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 I'm not good at estimating numbers, but it was way more than half full. So anyway. Um, I asked the audience that night, and this is a question I ask all audiences. In fact, let me ask you right now, as you're listening, no matter where you are, you could be in your car, you could be in your, you know, could be on, in a plane, on a podcast, wherever you are. I want you to stop for a second. And just think about some, someone. I want you to think about someone who's not a Christian, whom you'd like to be a Christian. Could be a friend, relative, whoever it is. You got somebody? Okay. Here's my question about the person you're thinking of. Is the person you're thinking of on a relentless pursuit of truth. They want to know if Christianity is true or not, or are they apathetic or maybe even hostile to Christianity? What do you think? Well, I asked that question to the faith church group the other night out of, let's just be conservative, 600 people out of 600 people there. Um, Wednesday night, when I asked that question, one person raised his hand in a half hearted way. <laughs> Half a hand went up. He said, the person I'm thinking of is on a relentless pursuit of truth. They want to know if Christianity is true or not. All 599 others said, the person I'm thinking of is apathetic or hostile to Christianity. Yeah, that's really the problem. The problem isn't the fact that there isn't evidence out there. The problem is that people don't want the evidence because they don't want it to be true because they want to do their own thing. They're not on a truth quest or on a happiness quest, and they think God's going to get in the way of their happiness. They want to be God. So in a certain sense, that's discouraging. In another sense, that's comforting. Why is it discouraging? Well, there's so few people that are really interested in pursuing God, it seems. Now, obviously, the 600 people who were there who were Christians are pursuing God. But the, per- the people they're thinking of, that they would like to be Christians, aren't. And just about everybody they're thinking of isn't interested. That's discouraging. The comforting part of this is that it shows that God 
and we already know this in other ways, but it shows that God really is fair. That, that it's, not, it's not the fact that God isn't providing enough evidence. It's not the fact that God doesn't care about people and God doesn't want people to be saved. He does, according to Peter and according to others, writers of the New Testament, God wants everybody to be saved. Paul says the same thing. He wants, he wants all people to be saved. And that's what a loving God would want. But not everybody wants God. Not everybody wants to have their sins forgiven because they want to go their own way. They want to maybe stay doing what they're doing. So the point here is, is that people can find every excuse under the sun to avoid God and avoid Christianity. And it has very little to do with evidence. Because they're not looking for evidence. They're suppressing the evidence. They're turning away from the evidence. That's why you need to ask them, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? So, it is harder to defend Christianity because people can just, with a few clicks of the search engine, can find all sorts of problems with Christianity and then immediately dismiss it. On the other hand, it could make it easier in some senses to become a Christian because you have that same capability to find positive information on the Internet. So the issue isn't really the platform. The issue is really is really um, whether or not the person's open to searching for the truth. In fact, uh, I went to uh, this week, I went to a. Andy Stanley's irresistible um, seminar that he had here in Charlotte. He's been traveling the country. It's a book that he wrote uh, called Irresistible, Reclaiming the New that Jesus Unleashed for the World. And I've known Andy for since 2001. He and I were both taught by the same guy, Norman Geisler. And uh, here's a guy that in some sense has been taken out of context quite a bit because of the same issue, the internet. Uh, but he was saying that Look, given enough time, interest, and undivided attention, you can defend the entire Bible. That's what we try and do here at crossexamine.org. The problem is, sometimes you don't have enough time. Sometimes you don't have enough interest. Sometimes you don't have enough undivided attention. And what do you do in that case? Well, he said, you know, the church has responded with skinny jeans, cool environments, and, you know, really cool environments. And do you think the people of who have searched the internet and found all these problems in the Bible out of context problems. Do you think that, Oh, you got skinny jeans. Oh, you got a cool environment. Gee, I'm back in no problem. No problem. Now that you're wearing these skinny jeans and you serve good coffee, you know, in the lobby, all these problems that I find on the internet with the Bible, I have no problem with anymore because you really look hip. No, that's not what we have to do. And this entire seminar was pretty much about, are the apologetic we need to do to show people Jesus rose from the dead and Christianity is true. Well, we'll get into more of that right after the break. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. College campuses are hostile to the Christian faith, and three out of four young people walk away from the church once they go to college. That's why we go to college campuses and present I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist in the United States and even all over the world. When we do this, 
We don't charge students a dime. That's why we need your financial support. In fact, over the past couple of years, we've been able to grow dramatically because of your generous support. And 100% of your donations go to ministry. Zero percent go to building. So when you give to Cross-Examined, you'll be giving to help us go reach young people where they are. Would you consider giving today? Thank you so much, and thank you so much for what you've done already. Welcome back to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Crossexamined.org is our website. Cross-Examine with a D on the end of it, .org. We're talking today about how difficult it can be in one sense to defend Christianity given the Internet and all these lightning-fast um, platforms out there, communication platforms, uh, that people can take things out of context and put them on the Internet and then people look at them and go, well, if that's what's in the scriptures, I, I have no, no interest in them. On the other hand, it could make things easier because you can get to people with short sound bites that actually affirm the truth of Christianity. And that's what we try and do. In fact, if you haven't signed up for our email, please sign up for our email at crossexamine.org. Click on subscribe, put your email address in there. We don't give your email address to anybody else. But what you'll get every week is one email from us that has a short Q&A video interaction that I've had with somebody on a college campus, because we do a lot of college campus work, as you know, and we videotape all of it, we stream all of it, and then we break up the Q&A into sh these short individual uh, videos that you can share with other people. You see, I've noticed that if you send somebody a video that's 40 minutes long, they won't watch it. But if you send a video that's four minutes long, they're much more likely to watch it. Especially if it's a Q&A, there's some perceived confrontation going on. People are interested by that. So that's what we do. We use the Internet and we use the way the world is to try and reach people through these short sound bites, whether it's on YouTube, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's on Instagram, whether it's on Twitter. We try and get the word out there to counteract all the negative that's out there with regard to uh what atheists and skeptics are saying. So we're trying to we're trying to use the platform. As I said before, the platform's amoral. We try and use the platform for good. And your donations, by the way, help us do that. Go to crossexamine.org if you want to help us do that more. In any event, as I mentioned uh, just before the break, that uh, the response to the internet and all the things that have brought been, been brought up out of context in a negative way about Christianity, unfortunately, the church hasn't done much about. We've responded with, with skinny jeans, coffee, and loud music. Well, that's not going to answer the objections that the skeptics and the agnostics and the atheists and people who are just disinterested have. You've got to come with some truth. And that's what we try and do. And the method we use, as you know, is the classical apologetic method that uh, I learned from Dr. Norman Geisler. It's in our book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. You start with truth. Does truth exist? Then you go to the question, does God exist? Then you talk about are miracles possible? And then the fourth issue you discover is, or you investigate, is did Jesus rise from the dead? Are the documents of the New Testament reliable enough to tell us the truth about Jesus rising from the dead? Did he really rise from the dead? And if he did, then he's God. And if he's God, whatever God teaches is true. And then Jesus taught 
The entire Old Testament is the word of God. So if the New Testament's just reliable and it tells us the truth about Jesus, then you get the entire Old Testament thrown in. You don't start with the Old Testament. You start with, does truth exist? Does God exist? Are miracles possible? And then you see if there's enough evidence, not just from the New Testament, but from non-Christian writers and the explosive growth of the church out of Jerusalem, you know, the results of Christianity. You, you look at it all in context and you try and discover if Jesus rose from the dead. Because if he did, then game over Christianity is true. If he didn't, then game over it's false. And this is the apologetic approach that I take, that I learned from Dr. Norman, Norman Geiser. It's the same one that Andy Stanley takes in his book, Irresistible, because he learned from the same guy and it makes sense. And by the way, this is the same approach that the Apostle Paul took and the Apostle Peter took and the Apostle John took and all of the writers of the New Testament. They didn't start by saying, well, the Bible's inerrant. The Old Testament's inerrant. Yeah, that's why you, you got to believe all this in order to become a, a Christian. No. They pointed out that the resurrection occurred, and then they worked their way backward. If the resurrection occurred, and if Jesus is God, whatever he teaches is true. Now, we've been through this on this program several times. You can get our why I still don't have enough faith to be an atheist DVD set. You can take the course online if you want. You can get the book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, and the, the sister volume to that, Stealing from God. We're not going to go through that here today. I just want to point out that what you can do uh, to defend Christianity is use the approach used by the apostles. Stay on the resurrection. If the resurrection occurred, Christianity is true. Even if things in the Old Testament bother you. If Jesus rose from the dead, Christianity is true. Now, why do I think the Old Testament's true? Because Jesus did. Not because I've been able to verify everything in the Old Testament. Nobody can do that. I can't verify everything in the New Testament. But if I can show... If I can discover that Jesus rose from the dead, then Christianity is true. And whatever he teaches is true. Look, if somebody rises from the dead, I just believe whatever the guy says. Okay? So you, 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 you really focus on the resurrection. In fact, if, if, if you really want to make this as simple as possible, there's really only two steps in apologetics. Does God exist and did Jesus rise from the dead? Because in order for Jesus to rise from the dead, God would have to exist, obviously. There'd have to, just have to be a theistic world where God can do miracles. But if God exists, miracles are possible. That's just a done deal already. So God and the resurrection are the two main issues when it comes to showing that Christianity is true. That's why we spend most of our time when we're talking about this, when we're on a college campus, when we're in a church, when we're in a high school, we spend most of our time talking about the evidence for God and the evidence for the resurrection. All right. Now, let's deal with an objection. I'm going to your questions now. If you'd like to send us a question, send us a question at hello at crossexamine.org. Hello at crossexamine.org. I got a question from a lady. Uh, and by the way, try and keep your questions short. Some of you guys are sending me questions that are literally pages long. It's very difficult to answer those questions, number one, in a, in a, in a, in a way that uh, I can first read on the, on the radio and then have enough time to come up with an answer um, but secondly, uh, it, it, it's just, how do I put this? Um, brevity is the, is, is necessary for clarity. Sometimes if you have too many ideas in a question, then, then you really can't get to the nub of the real question you want answered. You've got to really focus in on the issue you want to address. Now, I know some of these questions are complicated. I get that. The question we're going to deal with today is complicated. 
And I, I probably won't even have time to get through it in the remaining time we have, but I'm going to do our best. The question goes like this. Hi, my name is Dory. And uh, she was reading responses uh, to the evidential problem of evil. And here is her question. How does the theist refute his claim, uh, I guess an atheist claim, that, quote, until the theist shows that rapes and such probably are for some known greater good, the evidentiary problem of evil shows that a perfect God probably doesn't exist. In other words, say this another way. The atheist is saying, until a theist can show that rape has a greater good for, in some way, then God probably doesn't exist. Okay, this is a good question, right? There's two problems to evil. There's the logical problem of evil and the evidentiary problem of evil. The short answer to the logical problem of evil, and, and even atheists are admitting there's nothing illogical about God existing and evil coexisting. There's nothing illogical. They, they used to think there was some kind of logical problem. There's no logical problem. And by the way, Steve, uh, uh, William Lane Craig has put together some great short animated videos on this. There's two of them. One is called The Logical Problem of Evil, and the other is called The Evidentiary Problem of Evil. Just Google those, and you'll find them. Watch them. They're well worth watching, okay? Um, but there's no logical problem to evil. In fact, I would argue that evil actually shows God does exist. As we've said several times on this program, evil can only exist if good exists, because evil is a lack in good. Evil doesn't exist on its own. It only exists if good exists. In other words, evil is like cancer. If you take all the cancer out of a good body, you've got a better body. If you take all the body out of the cancer, you've got nothing. In other words, cancer can't exist on its own. It can only exist in a body. Evil can't exist on its own. It can only exist in something good. Well, here's the problem for the atheist. Good only exists in an objective way if God exists, because what we mean by good is God's nature. If, if we're just molecules in motion, if all that exists are chemicals or materials, then there's no such thing as good out there at all. There's just molecules, which means there's no such thing as evil. So the problem evaporates. But we all know there is something out there known as evil. And it's not just my opinion that torturing babies for fun is wrong or murdering children is wrong. It's not just my opinion. It's really wrong. Well, if that's really wrong, there must be something that's really right. And if there's something that's really right, that's God's nature. So evil doesn't disprove God. It may prove there's a devil out there, but it doesn't disprove God because there'd be no such thing as evil unless there was good and there'd be no such thing as good unless God existed. But now, what about this evidentiary problem of evil? Well, it does seem that there are some real evil things out there that cause us to pause and say, well, maybe God isn't all powerful or maybe he's not all loving because he would stop these things if he was. Now, obviously, one of the reasons evil exists is because free will exists. And the reason free will exists is because the only way you can have love is if you have free will. If you don't have free will, you can't love. Of course, if you don't have free will, you can't do evil either. But then this wouldn't be a moral world at all. It would be a, a, a world of robots. But this is a moral world. God wants to give us the free will to be like him. We're made in his image. We have the ability to make choices and to create, to do things freely. So we can love or we can hate. Free will enables love, but it also enables evil. Now, what about awful things like rapes? This is what the questioner brings up. Well, it's not God, obviously, raping. Could he stop a rape? Of course he could. Why doesn't he stop a rape? Well, 
if he if he jumped in every time somebody wanted to do evil again, then this wouldn't be a moral world. It would be a, a world, a trivial world. You, you try to do evil and God stops you. And by the way, it could be that God stops evil every day. Maybe he does intervene. We would never know it because this is the world we're living in. It would be a counterfactual world. Maybe God's Holy Spirit stops people from doing evil. In fact, there's something out there known as common grace that, that go, goes to all people. That God may actually be not overpowering free will, but persuading people through his Holy Spirit not to do evil. But then there are instances where even God's persuasion doesn't convince people to not do evil and they do it anyway. So God may be stopping evil. And we wouldn't know it because this is the only world we know. But one thing that we need to be aware of when it comes to Christianity, Christianity doesn't promise that evil won't occur. In fact, Christianity promises evil will occur. Even to Christians, we will be persecuted. In fact, that's why Christ had to come because of evil. The story of reality, as my friend Greg Kokel puts it, is that that's the name of his book. The story of reality is Christianity. It's really a response to the problem of evil, that God actually comes and takes care of evil himself. And we'll talk about how he does that and why doesn't God stop evil and do rapes prove that God doesn't exist right after the break? Don't go away. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. We're back in just two minutes. Don't go away. If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find more. Just type Cross-Examine or Frank Turek on the search bar. Also, visit our website where we add new videos, articles, and free resources daily. When you're talking about the problem of evil, or any problem, friends, you have to look at the background information. In other words, evil alone is not something you can look at without context. Just like all the problems we talked about in the beginning of the program. The problems that the so-called problems of the Old Testament, you can't look at them without some background information. Uh, what was the situation when God said, kill the Canaanites? Uh, was this arbitrary? Were the Canaanites sinners? Had God been warning them? Were they sacrificing their children to Molech? You know, there's, there's, there's a number of things that need to be taken into consideration. You need some context. And when you look at the question, does God exist? Because the atheist in the evidentiary problem of evil is trying to say, since there are rapes, since there are terrible things that I can't think of that could lead to a greater good, God doesn't exist. But what the atheist is forgetting about there is, number one, evil actually shows that God does exist for the reasons we mentioned before the break. But secondly, there are, uh, there's so much other background information that shows us that God does exist. The beginning of the universe, the fine-tuning of the universe, the information found in DNA, the very existence of life itself, consciousness and free will, the very fact that there's intelligence and reason out there, the laws of nature, laws come from lawgivers. Why are they so consistent and precise? The very fact that there's objective right and wrong out there, objective morality, objective moral obligation shows that God must exist. You can look at Old Testament prophecy. You can look at the resurrection. You can look at so many pieces of evidence that point to the fact that God exists. So when you consider the problem of evil, you have to consider it in context. It's not like this is the only problem out there, or I should say the only issue out there. There's all these other issues that have to be answered. If you're going to say that your view of reality is the correct view of reality, 
the most plausible view of reality, the view of reality that has the proper explanatory power and scope to cover what we know about reality. Look, atheism can't explain the beginning of the universe, the fine-tuning of the universe, the information found in DNA. It can't explain where the first life came from or where consciousness and free will came from, where intelligence and reason and the laws of nature and objective morality and Old Testament prophecy and the resurrection and the other miracles of Jesus. They can't explain any of this. The best explanation, in fact, let me back up for a second. Virtually none of those things can be explained by materialism. They're all related to some, some aspect of immaterial reality. Yet atheists, who are materialists, and most of them are today, are simply saying that atheism is true, that there is no God, and yet one of the reasons they say that is because there's evil. Well, by the way, evil isn't a material thing either. <laughs> so their stunted view of, of reality affords them no way to explain any of these things, including evil, by the way. So they're bringing up a problem that materialism can't even explain, and yet they're somehow thinking that materialism or evil best explains the fact that materialism is somehow true, or God doesn't exist. They may not say materialism is true because of evil, but they may say that God doesn't exist because of evil. Yet the very claim that evil exists can only be true if materialism is false, because there's got to be an immaterial standard of good out there for evil even to exist. This is why, as I say in the book, Stealing from God, that they have to steal from God to make their case. They have to sit in God's lap to make their case or to slap his face. They have to sit in God's lap to slap his face. They're, they're, they're using evil, which only exists if good exists, in order to say God doesn't exist, but evil actually shows God does exist. I know I'm a broken record on this. I'm sorry. But the point is, you got to have the background information when you approach any problem and there's so much positive evidence for God that even if you can't figure out why a certain rape occurs or why a certain tsunami occurs or why a certain cancer occurs in a child say, which is tragic, that shouldn't get you to believe, well, now there's no God because there's so much information or evidence pointing to God. And I think maybe the other question we have to take into account, and by the way, uh, the, the video that I mentioned earlier that William Lane Craig and his team have put together deals with these issues. It's called The Evidentiary Problem of Evil. Again, look it up on, on YouTube. You can just Google it. You'll find it. It's about an eight-minute video. It's one of the longer uh, kinetic videos that they've done over there. They point out that one question you need to ask when somebody says, well, evil disproves God, you might say, well, what is the purpose of life? Is the purpose of life personal happiness? I mean, because the assumption behind the objection is that if God existed, he would make everybody personally happy and ensure that no one ever got hurt and there would never be any suffering. Is that really the purpose of life? No, the purpose of life is to know God, not just in an intellectual way, but in a personal way. And suffering can help us know God. As C.S. Lewis famously said, sometimes you only look up when you're on your back. In fact, if you think about this, Think about this in your own life. How many of you listening right now came to Christ partially through pain and suffering? How many of you grew in Christ partially through pain and suffering? I think all of us have to say that. So pain and suffering can actually bring us 
to God, which is really the purpose of life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you sent, John 17, 3. The purpose of life is to know God and to make him known. Notice when Jesus says this is eternal life, he's not just talking about endless time. He's talking about a quality. And by the way, you get eternal life when you believe. Jesus said that he who believes is passed from death into life. If it's eternal life, you get it when you believe, not when you die. And if it's eternal, by definition, you can't lose it. But that's a whole nother conversation. Sometimes in order to know and grow in God, that requires pain. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to arouse a deaf world. And by the way, this is how we develop character to know God. The scriptures talk about this as well. James, the half-brother of Jesus, who saw some suffering by himself because he was, he was called James the Just, by the way. He didn't believe Jesus was God. His own brother was God before Jesus rose from the dead. But after he rose from the dead... He said, yo, bro, you're God. And he actually was killed as a martyr in the city of Jerusalem. As Josephus, the Jewish historian tells us, and Hegesippus, another historian, they tell us James is killed by the Sanhedrin. And here's what James says in the second line of his letter. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces patience. Wow. I don't count it all joy when I go through pain and suffering to you. James says you ought to do so. In fact, Paul says in Romans chapter five, we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope. You can't develop some of the virtues without pain and suffering. It's very difficult to develop courage without danger, perseverance without obstacles, compassion without suffering, patience without tribulation, character without adversity or faith without need, trust without need. You need those things to develop and become closer to God. That's why we're here to know God and to make him known, to know him in a deeper way. And God's purposes, by the way, spill over into eternity. Yeah, you're right. If, if, if there is no afterlife, if babies die young without any redemption later, if people die, in fact, it doesn't matter whether you die young or old. If, if, if there's no afterlife, there's no ultimate purpose to life. So there really is nothing known as evil. We just don't like the fact that we die young or the fact that we die at all. But if there is no purpose to life, you can't say anything is objectively good or evil, right or wrong. Just like if there's no purpose to a football game, you can't say that if your quarterback throws a touchdown, that's better than your quarterback throwing an interception. If there is no purpose to the game, you can't tell the difference between a touchdown and an interception. There's no difference. There's got to be a purpose, and there's only a purpose if God exists. Otherwise, we're just going to heat death. We're all going to die, and there is no problem of evil then. Because there's no standard of good. There's no purpose to life. So the very, the very problem brought up before Christians, if God, why evil, actually shows or presupposes that there's a purpose to life. But on atheism, there is no purpose to life. Now, this is such a big problem that I'm running out of time. We can't cover the whole thing. We cover it in the book, Stealing from God. In, in a lot greater depth. So get the book Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. Let me say one other thing. And one of the things that, that really helped me, because if you don't struggle with the problem of evil, you're, you're probably not thinking enough. What really helped me in my journey through this problem was discovering something known as the ripple effect. The fact is, is that every event ripples forward into the future to affect trillions of other events. Uh, one, one example. Um, the guy who killed the Archduke of Serbia back in 1914, 
set forth a ripple that caused World War I and ultimately caused World War II. One guy. If, if, if that assassination didn't take place in Sarajevo in 1914, World War I wouldn't have happened, and World War II then wouldn't have happened either. It rippled forward, one event. And we can't see how events ripple forward all the time, because we can't see the ultimate outcome, but God can. Maybe a, a baby dying today might ripple forward into the future to affect trillions of other events and partially be responsible for raising a great evangelist 500 years from now who saves millions of people. I can't trace all those ripples, but God can. That's why when something tragic happens today, even though we can't see good coming from it, whether it's a rape, whether it's a baby dying, whether it's a tsunami, whatever it is, we can't necessarily see good coming from it. Not completely anyway, but God can. And with free creatures, he can bring good from evil. He can allow things to ripple forward into the future to bring forth good. And if it doesn't bring forth good in this life, it can bring forth good in the next life. In fact, Paul even says in 2 Corinthians 4, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. When bad things happen in this life, they can actually enhance our capacity to enjoy God, not only now, but in eternity. Because we're achieving an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, this is only true if Christianity is true. Of course, if Christianity isn't true, if there is no God, then there is no problem of evil either. And by the way, everybody has to deal with this. Every worldview, it's not just Christianity, it's atheists that have to deal with it as well. And I, I think they have no way of even, even accounting for evil unless there's a standard of good and there's no standard of good unless God exists. But there's more to read. Read Stealing from God. Check out the William Lane Craig videos on uh, YouTube for more. I'm Frank Turek. I'll see you next week. And by the way, don't forget, I'm going to be down in Wichita Falls, Texas this weekend. Check our website, crossexamine.org. I'm at the Cowboy Church there. So see you next time, friends. God bless. Have a good week. We work hard to create great content and deliver truth and valuable insights to all of our Cross-Examined podcast listeners. If you agree, take 30 seconds out of your busy schedule to leave us a five-star rating so more people like you can find us. Just look for the Cross-Examined official podcast, three words on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. We are truly grateful for your support. 